So I just read this week that um, Eugene Peterson passed away. And um, for, for the few of you who may know of him, I won't have to say a whole lot. Uh, he's an author. He was a pastor. He actually grew up in Montana and then moved uh, to a location not too far from here, Bel Air, Maryland. And he started a church. He launched this church. Uh, it was a Presbyterian church in Bel Air pastored for 30 years and then moved back to Montana. In that time between his, his tenure in the church in Maryland in Montana, he wrote The Message, which is the, tra- the translation of the Bible that is, is it's remarkable. He, he, um, he's a Hebrew and Greek scholar who um, also is a poet and uh, just a studier of literature. And so he put all of that together into a translation that I absolutely love. Um, it sold over 20 million copies and continues to grow in popularity. And I, I, I just love, I love the, uh, the way that he wrote. Um, and just to give you an idea of, in fact, this is the one scripture that really sticks in my mind, always has when I read it. John 1.14 is a passage that we all know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But here's what he wrote. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And, and when I read that, I was thinking, that's like Jesus and Mr. Rogers, you know, all together. <laughs> It, but he just makes you think like that. He, he's just good. So today, in his uh, memory, everything, every passage that I read is going to come out of the message. And I just want to say uh, thank you, dear brother. You, you, you blessed us all with this. And, you know, I, I don't have any one translation I prefer over the other. I, people get all wrapped around stuff like that. And I just like the translation that people will read. And, uh, you know, the, the other stuff will work out. So... We're starting the series today called Salt Light, and um, it's a series that's based out of this passage in Matthew, and I just want to read this to you, and uh, we're going to read this out of the message, and I want you to, to really think through this as I read. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus is speaking. This is at the very beginning of his uh, Sermon on the Mount in, in uh, you know, Matthew, the book of Matthew, and he starts out saying, let me tell you why you are here. And I think that is an amazing thing to think about because a lot of people wonder why they're here. And this is, this is to the church. This is to Christ's followers. This is, these are Jesus' words to us today. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. I want you to listen to these words. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. This is what our whole series is going to be based on. It's four weeks long, and we're going to talk about being salt, about being light, 
about having a generous lifestyle and about changing the world around us. I want to read another passage in Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking again to his disciples. And it's in this passage that he actually launches the church. That's us, okay? I will put together my church. Whose church is it? Not my church. Jesus' church. He's the one talking, right? I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. So I'm thinking about salt. I'm thinking about light. I'm thinking about this very aggressive, powerful thing that we call church. And I will tell you that The biblical picture of church is much different than the picture of church today. We're talking about a comparison between something that is powerful and a representative of Jesus Christ versus what has become a religious club. There's a guy that he's been writing a lot about this. His name's Reggie McNeil. Um, he's one of the leaders of Leadership Network, and he's talking about where the church is today, what, what we're doing, where the kingdom is. He's actually going to be with us here, Destiny, in March. Uh, but he wrote a book that uh, I'm only through the fourth chapter of. It's just an incredible book. It's called Kingdom Come, Why We Must Give Up Our Obsession with Fixing the Church and What We Should Do Instead. And here's what he wrote. The kingdom agenda, life as God intends it, is supposed to be the church's agenda. When the church doesn't point to the kingdom, it becomes something other than the the church that Jesus established. Simply put, a congregation in the church business instead of the people business is on slippery ground. I would echo this, and I will share with you as your pastor the indictment that we are on slippery ground as the church in America. And if we're not careful, we're going to be on slippery ground in the church of destiny. You know the stats. I talk about it all the time. All across our nation, 4% of the people in our country are considered Christ followers by biblical standards. And there are multiple organizations now who have studied this, and, and that's where we get these numbers from. So most of the culture is not part of the club. In fact, how do they view us? How, do they, how, do, how does culture view the church? Now, I know the first thought that may come out of our thinking when we ask a question like that, and we might say, well, we don't care what the culture thinks. We're not part of the culture. And that's a huge part of our problem. Jesus was so into the culture in his lifetime. In fact, he he was trying to get the religious people out of the culture that they had created to get into the culture that they needed to be in. Today, our culture looks at the church. They think that we're narrow-minded. 
They think that we're money-centered. You know, we're part of a group that I think would be put into the evangelical movement. We have turned from what our roots were into now we're, we're considered a political action committee because we got our priorities so screwed up that people think we're about now about politics, and we are not. People are angry at us. They dismiss us. We are not relevant. We are not this church that's charging the gates of hell because we've got our priorities messed up. Church facilities. Let me just talk to you about something as simple as that. Uh, I'm spending a lot of time on stuff like this. I'm going to be teaching in a conference in Dallas in June or July of next year on church economics and um, church facilities, kind of a big deal. There are 4,000 churches closing their doors every year in the United States. Think about that. 4,000 churches are shutting down in 2018 and will happen again in 2019 and 2020. It, it's happening every year. If you go on Google and do a quick search of churches, church buildings that are now bars, in 10 minutes you'll find a thousand of them. Literally, I counted them. What I could find in, two, in 10 minutes, a thousand churches that now are, are bars. This past week in the Washington Post, there's a picture of a church. It's right there. It's beautiful. They're condos. You can get a condo in the bell tower for $2.1 million. I mean, that's, that's something to think about. Not moving into a church, I'm just not, but that's where we are. Here are signs of church-centeredness. And I, I, I want to I bring you with me on this. I, I, I'm unloading some stuff today, and I've been thinking about this a long time. But I kind of think many people in the church have been thinking about this a long time and just afraid to talk about it or afraid to express it. But there are frustrations that we see in, in things that are happening and things that aren't happening. And, and, and we're cheering on things that maybe don't exist. And so I, I want to, you know, I want to bring you with me. Uh, signs of church-centeredness. We are seen as a place, not a people. We're the, we're the church on Catoctin, Right? We have a scorecard for success based on church activities for church people, primarily on church property. We have a church consumer mentality that gauges success based on the strength and quality of its size and money that leads to the strength and quality of its programming. We think that big church is God's goal. Just let me stop here. I've been guilty of almost everything I've read so far. There's an unspoken competition between churches. I just had this amazing conversation with the pastor of Leesburg Community Church, Tim Gianosa, the awesome, awesome guy. And, and we had lunch and we just sat there and he just started saying, hey, Greg, and he's relatively new to this church and he's, he's trying to make some changes and, and they're going through some, some really challenging times. And he goes, he goes, I got to tell you something. This is killing me. He said, you know, I come into this church and I have to 
find somebody to, to be a good youth pastor and I have to find another person to be a good worship leader and I have to find somebody who's going to lead the kids ministry. And, and, and he said, and I could walk right down the street to your church and you guys have done the same thing and you're way ahead of us. And, and he goes, if I don't do at least as good as what you've done, then I lose. And oh, that hurt. Where did that come from? And he's right. And all you have to do is look around and you could probably say the same thing for any other church in the area. We think the church staff is here to manage an institution that includes producing religious goods and services such as sermons, programs, and great church services. Yeah, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Church resources are spent primarily... And this is true across the board. If you look at the percentage of money that's given, it's crazy. Church resources are spent primarily on building staff, church-based programs with a much lower priority giving, given to alleviating human need and suffering. I, I, I'm going to veer off here for just a second. I read a book by a man named Rodney Stark, not a believer, uh, he was a head of religion at Baylor University, and he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity. And what he wanted to do was prove that the explosion in Christianity that took place in the first three centuries after Jesus had, had passed on and, and was ascended into heaven um, was not, it was fabricated. So he did a ton of research and discovered that, in fact, it wasn't fabricated, but it didn't grow the same way that, that most of us have heard that it grew. It grew out of two things. It grew, first of all, because the Christians, when they were persecuted, spread out to all over the known world, many of them, a large percentage, going to Rome. And it was about that time that the Black Plague hit Rome. And so... While everybody was exiting Rome and trying to get away, the Christians stayed and moved in and cared for the sick and took care of them and nursed them back to health. And many Christians died contracting the Black Plague because they were there to help. They gave their lives away to help these people. And it made such an impact that it led to Christianity becoming the religion of Rome, actually, which wasn't the best thing in the world, but... That's the impact they made. The other thing that they did, which is really interesting, that, that also grew the church, was um, the Romans thought it was incredible if a wife, if a woman got pregnant and had a son. It was, it was a huge celebration. But if they had a girl, it was terrible. In fact, they would just simply throw the baby out into the street to die. And so... What did the Christians do? They would gather these little baby girls and they'd clean them up and they would heal them and nurture them and take care of them. And they would adopt them into their family. And the Romans were stupid because eventually you're going to run out of kids if you do that thing, right? And so the Christians would allow their daughters to marry the Romans not necessarily dating God's way, and they would give birth to children. But the women would lead the Roman men to Jesus, and they would raise their children up to be Christians, and it changed the world. 
So Rodney Stark, he, he's studying all this and he puts it in the book. By the time he got to the end of the book, he gave his life to Christ because he said, that's the kind of Christianity I want to belong to. That's, you know. so, so we, uh, you know, the church is off a little bit today. We have more family conversations about church than we do about God. There's an inability of church people to have spiritual conversations with non-church people. We're going to talk about that next week. There's a huge gulf between the church and our culture. Um, I, 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 several months ago, I talked to you about the seven mountains, the seven big influences in culture. And um, it was the church and education and family and media and arts and entertainment and business. It was seven, seven culture, seven, seven impacts to culture. And church has become an island all to itself. There's a dividing line. We are not part of culture. We have extricated ourselves from culture and built barriers and boundaries, and we are not influencing our nation. The Ephesians 4 model of church leadership has been perverted to take ministry away from the believers. So, those are just some fun things to get you fired up. Um, Destiny. Let's talk about this for a minute. Our, our, our ministry team is having some really tough conversations about this. We're beginning to realize that as hard as we work, the needle's not moving. We're not changing the world around us. We, we are talking about it. We're 19 years old and counting, and we recognize the need to save us from ourselves. Um... I'm not worried about the church in America. I'm not worried about the church uh, at large because it's, it's the bride of Christ. It's Jesus' church. I am concerned about destiny because that's where we are. And I want us to be part of what he's doing. And we're fast becoming... Did I lose power? Am I okay? We're good? Okay. Um, we, are, we are fast uh, going to become saltless if we don't fix some things. Now, let me say this. As your pastor, I, I, I know you guys well. I know you intimately well. My heart is so much in who we are and what we're doing and where we are. And I know you and I know your heart. And I would say this about you. I think that you are a lot more mature spiritually than people would give us credit for as a church. And I believe that above all, you want to be the church that God has called us to be. And because most of you, you know, I, I believe that this is a true statement. Most of you were not Christians when you came here. You're like... We have many first-generation believers in our church, and I believe we can make moves that other places can't make because of who we are. And I am excited about that. And I, can prom I can't promise you that we're going to get everything right, but I will promise you that we have our eyes open and we're taking next steps and we're going on a journey, and I want you to go with us. I want you to be part of what's coming. I spend plenty of time with people who study the church throughout history. And I want to tell you, we're in a unique place as a church. 
And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church in the United States right now. A very unique place. We have terms for this today that we didn't have in, in years past, or our terms were, were a little outdated. But we have these, you can see this happen over and over and over again in, in, in history, where the, there's been these uh, revivals of sort, where something would happen and, and it would change our country. And then there would be this drop-off and then there would be a change and then there would be the next thing. And I, I've gone over that with you and I'm not going to get into that today other than to say this. To, today we look at that and we say, well, those were algorithms. Those, those were processes that came about because of a move of God's Spirit and we would take off and we would grow and, and, and we would get stronger. And then they reach this place where it plateaus and it begins to decline. And most of the people who study this would say, that's where we are right now. And this, it's a heuristic stage. And in this heurism, which lasts uh, for about 20 years, it's a time of preparation. It's a time of, of looking at things like this and saying, things have to change. I think we've been in this heuristic stage for probably a decade, if not longer. We just didn't recognize it. And the things that we really pushed for, the things that we thought were really the best the church has ever had, has backfired. And so we're going to take another look at this. And so I want us to be ready. I want us to be prepared because this is really about our kids and our grandkids. This is about what's to come. And so the greatest thing that we can do is plan for, for, for a day that is quick coming and that we have done what we can do as a church to be ready. So I want to come back to this salt-like thing, and I just, I just want to talk about salt today. Um, Jesus said, you're here to be salt seasoning. Now, that word salt comes from a Latin word. It's where we get the word salary, and it actually has a lot, you know, some, you've always heard the saying, hey, he's really worth his salt, or, or, or it could be the other way, he's not worth his salt. Well, what they're talking about is that the, the value is missing, or the value is there. So salt is, is like weight. It's like value. It's, it's got substance to it. And uh, it's the stuff that we're supposed to be made of. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are to bring value to the earth. You're supposed to bring hope. You're supposed to bring the, 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 the essence of life to the people around you. So I want to give you four salt perspectives. This is in your notes, and I want you to just write these down. I'm going to give you a lot to think about here today. The church... Number one, does not exist for itself. It exists for the kingdom. I have had a lot of problem with this because I thought we existed for us. This past week, I got an email. It comes out every year um, where they've just announced the top 100 churches in America. Now, this is based on the largest and the fastest growing churches in the country. And I really thought that was the goal. Um, every pastor who I've met at one time or another has believed that that's the goal. But it hasn't worked. We have more mega churches in this country than you could ever imagine. 
And it's not working. And I'll tell you how you know. The number is still 4%. 4%. What we're doing is collecting saints. And whoever has the best program collects the most saints. Whoever has the the best stuff or the best programs, they get the most. So, So we're kind of... You know, we got some good stuff going on here because the average church attendance is about 75 people in our country. Um, If we exist for that goal, we end up with a a collection of consumers. Who's got the best message? Who's got the best facilities? Who's got the best this, the best that? When that pastor talked to me and said, Greg, I just feel like I'm having to compete with you. What was he saying? This very thing. The, the thing that we need to understand is that that's not how God thinks about the church. He, he, that is not a priority with him. He, he doesn't get glory out of bigness. Yeah, he's God. <laughs> you think he's impressed by the size of our church or any church? He, he, he could care less. That's not what it's about. In fact, he has chosen to go the Gideon route in terms of, of, of church and, and ministry. And that is he does huge stuff with little, little things. I've shared with you before uh, the story of my grandfather. He, he, tw- he started 12 churches and, and one of them, this little kid got saved. An 11-year-old kid. My grandfather never pastored a church more than 25 people in his whole life. But that kid won thousands of people to Jesus Christ and built one of the most amazing churches in the country. See, God doesn't think the way we think. He doesn't use the same metrics that we use. Here's something that we need to understand. We've built a subculture in the church that I think needs to end. We need to reculture ourselves. We've lost our voice with our neighbors. We are not salt and light in the neighborhood. Instead of building bridges, we've built barriers. We have our own language you know, it's Christianese. We, we have our own this and our own that. And, and, and people, seriously, you need to understand this. People think we're a club. I was meeting with a, uh, a town council person about two weeks ago. And this lady knows my passion for the church and passion for the community. And, and, and um, we were talking about some, some things that I'm involved in and and she goes, she goes, what time does your church start? And I said, well, it's on, we meet on Sundays at 10 o'clock. And she said, am I allowed to come? Now, yeah, I, I mean, that seems like a really strange question. But it's very, very indicative of what our neighbors think. They think it's a club. Can't get in. Number two, the church is home base for people on kingdom mission. The church is home base for people on kingdom mission. You want to know why we're here? We're here to storm hell. We're supposed to be like an army base, not like a club. So in a a missional army base, I I was never in the military, uh, but I did uh, spend a lot of time on a military base because of some ministry that I was called to. And a lot of things happen on a military base that are important to the kingdom. 
uh, or important to our country. Depends on what, what the base is. But one of the things that happens is recruitment. We need to recruit people for Christ. We need to recruit people to engage in this mission of the church, which is, becomes important to the kingdom. And on uh, the 18th of November, we're going to have baptism. And, and baptism isn't something that gets you to, or makes you a Christian. It's something that says, I identify with Christ, and I identify with the call of Christ in my life, and I have now salt, I have purpose, I have something to do, and I'm in all the way. And if that's you, and you want to do that, and you haven't been baptized yet, uh, Sign up for baptism. In fact, we're going to have a meeting right after the service today related to the 18th when we do baptism uh, in the youth room. Just go out the doors to the right and another right, and it'll take 10 minutes, and you'll, you'll learn all about baptism. But that's part of what we do here. Training is another part. Learning about the, God's Word. Learning about who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. It's a supply line. In other words, our resources, the, the, the money that is needed to do things in the kingdom, it's supposed to come out of the church. The hospital, we're a hospital. We're, we're like the base hospital. It's for people who are hurting and broken and messed up and their marriages are a disaster and their finances are, are a, a terrible mess. And, and you can come here and, and there will be healing and, and growing. Not so we can just sit around and be a club. Encouragement. All these things happen when we're on mission. Number three, the church's mission is worldwide. Acts 1, 8, 9, Jesus said this, what you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And then there's this little comment that, that the writer Luke wrote. These were his last words. And they watched. He was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. If you had some last things to say before your, your time on earth ended, what would they be? And it's pretty important stuff. So Jesus is telling us that we're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. This is local. This is where we are. This is our town, our county. We're to, we're to be part of Judea and Samaria. Somewhat close by, somewhat like us, but not like us. So that's the na- we're interpreting that as a church, as our nation. And the ends of the world are the ends of the world. We're not given options here. We don't pick one. The, the, the balanced church is going to be doing things in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So our, our mission is worldwide. Number four, the church is God's plan for the kingdom. The church is God's plan for the kingdom. So, what does that do? Well, one of the things that it does is it makes church planting a huge priority. Last week, um, I, I wasn't even sure what I was saying, but I, I had Rachel Hale Garcia come up here, and we prayed with her and decided to launch a church in a place called The Blessing in Guatemala. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, I've already got some things going in a week. I, I got people connecting and giving us stuff. And we might be able to do this with, with very little to no money. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, but it's got to be a priority for us. It's got to be major. Um, I want to talk more about that. You know, I've taught this principle out of Luke chapter 12 many, many times here. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. 
So I want to begin this journey that I'm talking about today, this, this salt and light thing. I want to begin this change by moving the heart of this church. I want us to move our hearts because we, we, we've, we're out of focus. And, and I can tell you, we're going to spend time coming up with a new way to do church because we want to make things happen in this world. We want to storm hell. So um, we're going to, uh, every year we do this, we have a Thanksgiving offering and it's coming up on the 18th of November. We've done this every year from the time we started the church. And what we're about to do, I can tell you we've never done before. I've always asked you to give and to give with a heart of thanksgiving, and I'm going to do that again. Um, but we're going to do it with a kingdom focus. Every year we've done this, we've either needed money, we were out of money, we had to buy a sprinkler system, we had to, you know, we had other ministry endeavors that we wanted to do. But there are two, two places where we can make a huge difference with our giving. And so I want to show you the first one. Let's take a look at this video. Cuba. Its name means fertile land and a great place. However, for most of us, it's been that island to the south that has seemed untouchable to our nation. But this nation has not been untouchable to God. In the middle of economic hardship, weather-related disaster, and political change, Cuba is experiencing a spiritual explosion. Obviously, this is not something that you will hear about in the news, but in the middle of all the challenges that this nation faces, the message of Jesus Christ is making an impact. Cuba is a beautiful island filled with beautiful people. The old cars, the colors, the architecture, all elements of old movies and former times. But there is something powerful going on under all of the fading beauty of this place. It is truly a move of the Spirit of God in this nation. Today I'm in Havana, Cuba. Behind me are 250 men and women who are church planters. These incredible men and women have so very little, yet they love God so very much. They've gone out to the provinces and villages of Cuba and they've planted 2,700 new house churches and incredibly made nearly 100,000 new disciples for Jesus Christ. 100,000 new Christ followers. And they have a vision in the next five years to see 6,000 more house churches planted. And that means that the entire nation can be impacted for Jesus Christ in just five years. They call it Cuba para Cristo, Cuba for Christ. Pray for these men and women. Pray for their vision. There is a spiritual movement going on in Cuba today. And I invite you to join us and partner where God is working and be part of this great spiritual renewal, Cuba para Cristo. The window of opportunity to raise the needed support for these church planters is narrow. The door to Cuba's complete spiritual transformation is wide open, but it will not always be that way. All indications are that now is the time to make a difference in Cuba. It takes $100 per month to sponsor a church planter. $100 per month will start more than two churches per year. 
Simply go to www.worldhelp.net forward slash Cuba and give to support these pastors. If you are unable to fully support a church planter, team up with some friends to make this happen. Any amount that you give will make a huge difference in the lives of these wonderful people. When was the last time you had a chance to reach an entire nation? The book of Acts is filled with stories about the world-changing work of the apostles. History tells us about the incredible impact of John Wesley, George Muller, Hudson Taylor. But what if you could actually participate in reaching an entire nation with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ? You can, today. So I don't want you to think about $100 a month. I, um, when Vernon filmed that video, Mike Merritt and I were in the room behind uh, the stage. And we've met these church planters. We, we got to know several of them quite well. These people, all they do are go and plant churches and find pastors and reproduce this. We, we started doing the math on this. And if, this, if we can finance these church planters, we will cover Cuba with the message of Jesus. It'll be from one end of Cuba to the other. Now, Cuba is a communist nation. You know that. We, we have had very little, as far as, as the body of Christ, we've had very little impact in that nation. But things are beginning to change and things are happening and we think that the window is rather narrow. And, and so we were taking kind of a laissez-faire attitude about this, thinking, hey, we're going to get this and we're going to raise the money and we're going to take care of these church planters. But I was with Vernon. I, I, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, and I said, so tell me about Cuba. And he almost started to cry. He said, he said, Greg, we've got to have $100,000 coming into uh, February, March, or we're going to have to pull the plug on these church planters. We just can't do it without help. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, this can't be. And, you know, at first I was thinking, okay, how can I get them $100,000 really quick? But I've had a different idea. And um, so here's my idea, and I'm getting buy-in. I want us to receive an offering, and I'm going to talk about the numbers in just a minute. I want us to give 60% of our offering away, and I want to give half of the 60% to Cuba. And I've already committed us as a church, I hope you bail me out, um, to $25,000 that we could give them. And I'm working to find a couple of churches who will match us in that. And then World Help is going to send this out as a matching gift across the nation. And we think we can make this happen. We can't lose these church planters. It's God's way of changing the world. It's His way. It's His plan for the kingdom. And so that's part of what we're giving to. Uh, At the same time, I got um, a friend of ours, Andre Fontaine, sent me a letter that he received from a person that he knows quite well uh, who leads uh, Good Shepherd Alliance here in, in Leesburg. Good Shepherd Alliance for years has been providing uh, housing for homeless people. It's a transitional housing ministry And for years, they've been getting federal and state and local help uh, 
uh, somewhere around the $100,000 mark. And in one year, these jurisdictions put out this mandate that this ministry would have to conform to federal and state guidelines and just basically have taken Jesus out of the middle of this. And because the, the ministry couldn't commit to that, all of their funding has been totally cut. So Good Shepherd Alliance, who's been part of our community for years, is risking annihilation. And so the other half of our 60%, we want to give to Good Shepherd Alliance. And I think we can get enough churches around the area to look at this and say, hey, I want in, I want to help. Right now, if we come up with $50,000, this will get them through much of next year and the rest we can figure out later. But in 2009, I was sitting in a town hall meeting with um, the town council and the lady that runs Good Shepherd Alliance walked in and there was a family, a husband and a wife and three of the cutest little redhead kids you ever saw. And this man had moved to the area with his family from Texas and had um, taken a job. And of course, you know the economy at that time and, and uh, he was here for three weeks and the, the company that brought him here went under. He had nothing. He had no, no money, no place to fall back on. He was, I mean, they were hand to mouth as it was. And they ended up sleeping in their car for, I think it was like three weeks. And Good Shepherd Alliance found this family and gave them housing, helped them through that tough situation. And um, then he found a job and they were able to move out and move forward in their life. That's what they do all the time at Good Shepherd Alliance. We, we can't let that happen. We can't let it go away. So I'm hoping and praying that we can give them at least $25,000 to make this happen. Folks, we can do this. We can, we can make this happen. All of it. And, and the honest truth is, we've never been in a place where our church has not needed the money before. And we're there. Now, I know things could always change. But... I believe God gives us things to be used for His kingdom, not for our safety and security. I believe He gives us things that we can use, uh, not so that church will be successful, but because the kingdom will be successful. And so, I'm calling on you to join me and let's make a difference. Because if, if we do this, here's the way to work. Maybe you don't have a heart for Cuba. I, I can understand. I do because I've been there and Mike does because he's been there and we know those people and we also know that churches being planted will change a country and, and so we can be excited. You have no emotional attachment to that whatsoever. You may not care about the homeless. You may think, oh man, I hope somebody takes care of that. You know, and, and, and I get that. I know how I know how it is. But the church has to have a different posture, a different outlook. And so giving... Giving sacrificially, the Bible says it will change our hearts. And that's a good thing. Because where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart goes. So, last year 
in this offering, above our tithes and offerings, we raised $80,000. I did the math on that, and we're almost at the goal that I want. If we, if we gave both of these ministries $25,000, we would have raised about $85,000. What if we made this $100,000 this year? What if we could do it? What if we could put this money to tangible use like nothing we've ever done before? And... Um, change the lives of people so I'm putting the faith request out there Uh, let's go for it let's make a difference let's let's just do this one thing that we can do right now that would move our heart and change the lives of people around us and I'm asking for you to to go to the mat with me on this I want to close with this this thought there's a movie that I watched one time. I've wanted to watch it many times since, but I just don't want to cry that much. Uh, it's, it's called The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And it's just a really challenging movie. Um, it's about a little boy that uh, was the son of a commandant of a concentration camp during the whole German occupation in Poland. And... and um, The, the theme that went throughout the movie was that this atrocity of, of annihilation was taking place in this camp that everybody in the community could see. In fact, all through the movie, you would see these puffs of brown smoke going up into the air. And that was the extermination building. But everybody in the town, including the wife and the family of the commandant, They didn't want to talk about what it was. They didn't even want to know. It was, you know, it was one of those things that we know it, but we don't want to discuss it. We don't want to admit where it is. And I, when I, when I thought about that, I think about the church that, that, listen, the things I've shared with you today are things we don't want to think about. We don't want to, we don't want to really admit that it's not working. In fact, the posture of the church today is pretty much heads and hand, you know, and, and we know it's not working, but hey, Jesus is coming back and, and we've read the end of the book and, it's, and we win. And I can tell you that's the most ridiculously sick and sad approach to the kingdom of God that you could ever imagine. We don't win when people have perished without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not winning. That's failure. And so my hope is that we become salt and we become light and that we start winning today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for your trust in us that you put the church in our hands and basically you have put the kingdom in our hands. I pray that we could be salt. The essence of who we're to be. I pray that we could be light 
what people need to see. I pray that we could bring you into the neighborhoods, into the culture. Lord, I just pray, Father, that as we make just this one practical move, giving sacrificially, not to ourselves, but to the kingdom, to the the people who need us desperately, as we give to people who need a place to sleep and people who need salvation. I pray that our hearts would change, that we would take a move, Lord, that would really affect our children and our children's children in a powerful way. I pray that we would honor you. And Lord, our lives would be well lived because of these changes that we need to make. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.